Welcome to Naturally Nourished, a food is medicine podcast that delivers cutting edge information and solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought out by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only and should not be used in place of any medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from a licensed health professional. Now welcome your host, Allie Miller, Integrative Dietitian and owner of Naturally Nourished, and her Vice President, Integrative Dietitian Carly Vogler. Welcome to episode 23 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Allie Miller over here with uh, Carly Vogler. Hey, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about boosting your thyroid gland for optimal health. And this is a super hot topic for us. A lot of our clients are dealing with stubborn weight loss, insomnia, having issues with stagnation in their digestive processes. And a lot of these symptoms, as we'll talk about today, can come back to dysfunction in the thyroid gland. Yes, this is definitely one of the things we see most commonly in clinic. Um, But what's interesting is I notice, you know, they'll fill out their patient profile or we'll be getting a a history of their medical background and they'll just mention thyroid. Oh, yeah, I'm on Synthroid or I'm on Thyroid Armor. Um, But that's not why they came in. They came in for weight loss or digestive issues, but they think there's nothing I can do about the thyroid. Let's just talk about my other problems. But it's so connected. Yeah. something we can affect. And I have to say, probably a good 30 to 40%, if not more, of our population is on Synthroid. And sometimes they'll even neglect to add it to their patient profile. Mm -hmm. Or the dosage hasn't been reassessed in three to five years. (laughs) They've just been taking the same dosage. And they're not really getting the whole picture of the function of the gland. And they may be overlooking the function of that gland and how that's influencing their overall health, for sure. Exactly. So let's start the whole podcast by explaining the different ways the thyroid can be imbalanced, and then we'll get in the nitty-gritty of lab results and food to support the thyroid, etc. Sure. So, I mean, we, we like to break it down between hyper and hypothyroidism. So hyper is overproduction of the thyroid hormone. And hypothyroidism is underproduction of the thyroid hormone. A lot of people have acquired hypothyroidism. So if you're on Synthroid or Levothyroxine um, or any of the generics, this is going to be treating hypothyroidism. You're taking synthetic medication to give your body that hormone that your body's not producing. And by acquired, I mean that for whatever reason, we'll talk about some of the big drivers today, but for whatever reason, the gland just has stopped putting out or has stopped being as stimulated by your other hormones to produce. So beyond just simple acquired hypothyroidism, we can also see autoimmune diseases. And this is things like Graves, where the immune system interferes with the hormone production and drives overreactivity, and we go into hyperthyroid issues. This is often seen by like the bulging eyes and um, sometimes goiter activity. And a lot of the symptoms of things like insomnia, anxiety, uh, irregular energy spells, and things such as that, because there's this hyperreactivity in the system. And then the other common one, which is often overlooked, is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And this is inflammation to the gland. People with Hashimoto's thyroiditis can dip into hyperthyroidism, but that's typically when they're mismanaged with their medication. Most people with Hashimoto's thyroiditis are going to be hypothyroid, where there's inflammation in the gland caused by the immune system, and that hinders the production of the thyroid hormone. 
So lots of different ways that you can have hormone dysfunction. And, and I kind of, when you were talking, was thinking too, this whole concept of autoimmune, we could talk about this for a long time, but just keep in your, your, the back of your mind too that everyone thinks like if you have an autoimmune disease, you're kind of just done for life, that this is something you have to deal with, like it's genetic. Right, right. But we, at the IFM conference, they were talking about the huge role the gut microbiome has on autoimmune. So that's pretty hopeful to know too that working with probiotics and resetting your gut bacteria could affect these autoimmune diseases that people think can't really be touched. Yes, and you can absolutely drive remission with autoimmune disease. So it's not a you know one stamp diagnosis. Uh, it, it's something that's constantly evolving and changing. And absolutely, your gut function, leaky gut or gut inflammation, your hormonal, which could be your sexual or steroid stress hormones, um, and overall, a lot of lifestyle choices, including stress, play a huge role, as we know, with the function of the immune system. Definitely. So. For all those curious if they might have a thyroid disorder, let's talk about some of the primary symptoms of dysfunction. Sure. So as I mentioned, there can be digestive elements. So we can see constipation. We can also see uh, diarrhea or loose stools. This is from under or overreactivity in that gland. The gland itself can become inflamed or enlarged or tender to touch. In fact, some people will actually have changes in uh, pressure on their vocal cords, that kind of raspiness that can be beyond reflux. That could also be a thyroid concern. Fatigue is a very common one because your thyroid drives your metabolic processes and your, your basic energy production for your system. So we can often see fatigue or nervous energy if they're in hyperthyroid mode joint stiffness, muscle weakness, and generalized inflammation in the skeletal muscular tissue. Sensitivity to cold or, or poor circulation can be a big clinical symptom of hypothyroidism or underproduction because we're at that low output, so we're not metabolizing or burning or staying thermogenic. Uh, we can also see shifts with fluid, so we could see swelling, weight gain, or weight loss, again, depending on if you're hypo or hyper. And then um, changes in the skin, hair, and nails. So we can see dry, rough skin, hair loss, dry, brittle hair, uh, nails that are cracking or breaking or brittle, and soft nails, um, as well as some of the sleep and circadian rhythm influences like insomnia and anxiety. And then even infertility, the thyroid hormone can downregulate or play an influence on our sexual hormones, which can create dysfunction and, and drive hormonal imbalance. So lots of different symptoms involved. It can yes. Be a bit confusing. Yes. I think the big clinical ones, though, for sure, are the hair, skin, nails, yes. and then and then the weight, stubborn metabolism. Those are always, you know, before going into a really restrictive plan with a client, I'm always like, let's just check in on how your thyroid's functioning first. Right. Absolutely. So who is at risk? Are we talking everyone? children all ages is it specific gender so women actually are like 80 to 90 percent of the population that's affected by hypothyroidism or, or thyroid dysfunction and this could be for a couple reasons one could be potentially well and also to make the correlation that women are also 80 percent or so of the autoimmune population so kind of interesting there and the two things come back to the same <laughs> reasoning with autoimmune is is there an estrogen dominant element to hypothyroidism? Is there a, a sexual hormone fluctuation? Because we see that women typically are going to be diagnosed during times of perimenopause or menopause, as well as during um, carrying a child or postpartum. That's when we often get this huge hormonal fluctuation or dip. 
Um, a rush followed by a dip with a childbearing uh, time frame for sure. And that can often throw a woman into hypothyroidism when she has that estrogen dip with the placental delivery and so forth. So estrogen is one element. The other is how women manage stress maybe. <laughs> and, you know, I'm someone who thinks, oh, I can take on so much and no, that's not me. But I do know that women tend to internalize um, and we tend to kind of harness or hold stress internally and that can take an influence on attacking the gland itself. Um, that over-rumination only leads to bloat concept can also influence gland dysfunction and throw off that HPA access. So, you know, we've discussed in past episodes the hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenals all play a role in that thyroid health. Guilty. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of women out there listening saying, oh, that's me. I like to internalize. Yeah, um, yeah. So practicing mindfulness and meditation and all those things, yoga, walking, those are not to be underestimated for sure. Right. And I mean, there's a direct mechanism. The hypothalamus makes your thyroid release hormone and the pituitary, uh, both the hypothalamus and pituitary found in the brainstem, the pituitary makes your thyroid stimulating hormone. So if your stress access or fight or flight access is constantly awry, your thyroid can't function normally. I mean, it's, it's a really direct pathway of why your body might be in imbalance. Absolutely. So I know in clinical practice, a lot of my thyroid pain patients are actually underdiagnosed for Hashimoto's, and I think they just have acquired hypothyroidism, which you were just touching on, Allie. So let's tell the listeners about the difference and how they can assess which category they think they're falling into. Great. And I think that this is an important thing to distinguish, especially for those of you that are listening that know, I'm sure every single person listening knows a direct family member on Synthroid. Um, I can think all yep. three of my, no, two of my three aunts are, and my um, grandmother is, my mother is. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of direct familial influence. And a lot of times I think, Understanding when it is autoimmune can actually be more empowering because that's more of a direct relationship of why your body's dysfunctioning. The fact that your immune system is driving inflammation or attacking your own body, that kind of puts you back in control versus this just happens sporadically in my body and I have to take this Synthroid. So um, it's really important that you get a thorough, comprehensive thyroid panel assessment. Most physicians are just going to be running your TSH, your thyroid stimulating hormone and your T4. And so your T4 is your inactive form of your thyroid. It's called thyroxine. And um, thyroxine at T4 um, is looking at the dormant or non-active form of your thyroid. Your TSH, as I mentioned, or thyroid stimulating hormone, is regulated by your pituitary. And so the TSH is supposed to be the direct feedback mechanism to the gland, the thyroid gland, to stimulate it. So if the TSH is elevated, typically you're going to get diagnosed with hypothyroidism and they're going to give you thyroid medication until that TSH comes down. But there can be other reasons that that can be elevated. So we really like to watch that. When we're looking at a comprehensive panel, I want to see, even if a patient has a normal TSH and a normal T4, are they activating the thyroid into the active form of T3? So I always like to look at the T3. And um, T3 has one less iodine molecule than T4. So it's triiodine versus thyroxine if we're nerding out and wanting to know all the logistics. Um, and so I always like to look at not only the TSH and the T4, but also the T3. 
I also like to look at the reverse T3, which looks at a feedback loop where stress is very dependent on that conversion factor. Then I like to look at two autoimmune markers. I like to look at your thyroid peroxidase, which looks at direct inflammation in the gland, and your anti-thyroxine hormone, which is going to look at the actual tissue hit of the thyroid um, and the antibodies that are produced, as well as your thyroid binding globulin, um, and then your anti-thyroid binding globulin hormone. <laughs> so we actually run a panel that has eight different analytes. And it's something that I recommend if you've been if you've been on a thyroid medication or feel like you have some of these symptoms, I would definitely not pass go <laughs> until you run this panel and see that everything's within range. And look, if you if you think, oh, I've just gotten all my blood work done. They did a, a full panel. People yes. always say this. And I just got, I have everything and, and everything came back normal. Well, if you really look at what markers they ran, it's usually the ones Allie was just saying. TSH, T4, maybe T3. Maybe, but I would honestly say less than 80% of my patients have T3 run. Okay, so so that's a quarter of the, <laughs> of the markers that we like to look at yep. for yep. a full picture of inflammation and autoimmune. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about next lifestyle. You know that we were just talking about stress and the hypothalamus. Um, let's talk just a little bit more about that whole cycle, the HPA access. There's a whole podcast on this, but just uh, how this kind of thyroid can be connected into that loop. Sure. So if you are under chronic stress, so stress can be mental stress. So it could be good stress, like planning for a wedding, or it could be a job promotion, or it could be stress about losing your job or whatever. Any mental demand or overload mental uh, stressor is going to drive dysfunction in this HPA access. Also, physiological stress. So this could be exercise. This could be starting to join CrossFit, or this could be starting to do high-intensity interval exercise or marathon running. Something, again, that you're looking at as a healthy habit and a new beneficial addition to your life could throw your thyroid off if it throws that HPA access off. So being mindful and touching in with your body as far as how your body's responding to your new lifestyle shifts is important. So both mental and physical stress and other forms of physical stress beyond exercise and beyond acute injury, like following an accident or, or just delivering a child and things like that, again, um, would be toxicity as far as a, a physiological stressor. So potentially people that are exposed to toxicity in salons, uh, maybe people that are working, doing manicures or hair all the time, working with chemicals and endocrine disruptors, we call them. These are types of chemicals that directly influence our hormone expression. And then uh, beyond toxic chemicals, stress can also be stress from, as Carly mentioned earlier, the microbiome. So if your gut bacteria is off, uh, if you have parasite, this can throw stress to the entire system as well. So stress, be it mental or physical, in the very forms of, of, of physical stress, can drive this fight or flight imbalance. And that can drive dysfunction in the hypothalamus, which would influence the thyroid releasing hormones. That would mean that you'd make less T4, which would drive you into hypothyroidism. Or it can throw off your pituitary, which could create imbalance in that TSH expression. So you might not be stimulating the gland to make enough, or you might be overstimulating the gland per se. And beyond the direct kind of hypothalamic pituitary adrenal pathways, Stress drives autoimmune, so stress can drive the elevated TPO, stress can drive the antithyroid globulin, 
Um, and so that can drive dysfunction in the immune system because the immune system can kind of start to auto attack itself. I love that you mentioned the working out piece because that I see all the time. You know, you women who, you know, their metabolism shifted and they're trying to work out more and more and more to try and lose the weight. But if there's some sort of imbalance going yes. on, that's stress on the body. Oh my gosh. And it's so hard for them to register, especially those women who are overweight. I have one client who is, um, it's not marathoner, it's the, the, the really intense one, Iron Man. Oh, yeah. She does Iron Mans, which are mind-blowingly difficult. Yeah. And I she actually can... don't even know what that all entails, but I'm just tired hearing about it. Oh, it's, <laughs> a marathon is one fraction of right. the entire thing. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So she cannot lose weight, but her calorie output must be phenomenal, and she'll right. restrict her calories. She's tried ketosis. She's tried everything, but... She's never had her thyroid looked at. And so that stress on the body, I know inflammation's high. So it's really hard for people to understand that it's not calories in, calories out. Really mm-hmm. listening to your body and reconnecting is so important. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so before we shift to all the food is medicine things that we can do to support your thyroid, I want to take one case study. I know, Allie, you had one that's near and dear to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about it and some lab markers and your interventions and how that worked out. Sure. So actually, this case study is on my mom. Mm-hmm. And um, hey, mom, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> and so she, uh, you know, since I've gotten into functional integrative medicine, a lot of my family uh, uses me as like a soundboard. So, you know, she's been on Synthroid for 18 plus years, I believe. Um, we had successfully worked her off of her Nexium that she was on for 10 or 15 plus years so I think once we got her off of her long-term PPI and she started digesting food better then she kind of like bought in and now so she runs all her labs by me okay so I forwarded you my labs check them out so out of the blue um, about a year ago her she gave me her panel from her doctor who is very thorough in air quotes and runs everything right and he ran a comprehensive metabolic panel which is like 14, it's off the top of my head, 14, 15 analytes. So a lot of people think it's a lot of labs, (laughs) but it's just looking at your liver, your kidneys, your electrolytes, what have you. That's called a comp. It's very standard. A CBC, which is very standard, looking at your complete blood count. And then he ran her TSH and her T4 and her cholesterol and maybe vitamin D. I don't know. But that was her very thorough, you know, four pages or five pages of labs. And her TSH was at 7.6. And um, she had been on a dosage of Synthroid for the past three years that had not been adjusted. And the normal range for TSH is less than 4.2. But actually, I like to see it more around 2.5. Anything above 3, 3 3.5 is getting a little bit overreactive. And so seeing it at 7.6, more than double the normal range, was concerning. Yet her T4 was normal. And in theory, you would assume that if the stimulating hormone was so high that it would be because her T4 was too low so that she needs to stimulate and produce more. So her doctor had reviewed the labs and he wanted to up her Synthroid dosage because even though the T4 was normal, he figured, well, I'll give her more of that synthetic T4 and then that'll mellow out that TSH. So I was actually concerned and I said, you know, before you up your Synthroid, let's do a full thyroid panel on you. And the reason being was I had actually just had a patient a couple months prior that had a pituitary tumor. So again, remember the TSH is regulated by the pituitary in the brain, not by the thyroid itself. 
So just seeing irregularity of the TSH um, does not necessarily distinguish that it's just acquired hypothyroidism. You know, it could be an autoimmune disease or it could be something going on even more serious with the brain, with the pituitary gland. And so I wanted to make sure that we screened for that. So I, I put, I ran her on our complete uh, thyroid panel and got that all set up for her, shipped off her requisition form and we're super excited because now we can do labs anywhere. It's an awesome part of the virtual practice. And um, her thyroid peroxidase, which is one of those autoimmune markers, it's supposed to be less than 35. It was over 700. So, I mean. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. So, her TSH was not only double the reference range, but her thyroid peroxidase was wildly elevated. And the scary thing is that had I not intervened, you know, she would have just gone on that higher level of the Synthroid. It could have potentially reduced her TSH. And then this would go unmonitor this autoimmune inflammation. So seeing the TPO that elevated right away, that's diagnostic of Hashimoto's thyroidism. And the funny thing is um, my mom had had a goiter back when she was like 11 or 12 years of age, when she was in that uh, pre, pre-menstrual kind of teen, pre-teen mode of hormone change again in a female. And um, at that time she had gone on iodine and it made the, the goiter worse because, you know, all of that. So it's all mismanaged. But it's interesting that she's had hypothyro- Hashimoto's hypothyroidism all of these years. Um, she's now almost 60. And no one had diagnosed it as Hashimoto's until I ran that panel. And she even went back from prior reports and the only values that had ever been run on her historically was TSH and T4. Mm. So it's really wild. So, so you know, we ended up putting her through an entire autoimmune protocol. We did the mediator release test, that, that MRT test, which looks at 150 foods and chemicals that drive inflammation in your body. And we put her on a six-month elimination diet based on that data. We also ran her neurohormone panel to look at her HPA access, look at her estrogen as she's at, you know, approaching 60. She's been postmenopausal, but she's still having hormonal fluctuations and was having flashes and changes like that. Sorry, mom. Um, (laughs) And uh, so we really took the whole picture. And now she is down another 18 pounds um, at beyond an ideal body weight. And the thyroid peroxidase has reduced down to 200. Um, So it has been decreasing every time we've rerun it. We've rerun it quarterly. She never had to increase her um, T4, which is beautiful. And we did bring in a little bit of T3 because she was having a hard time activating the thyroid. So we're working both with the minerals that play a role with activating the T4 into T3 and giving her a little bit of that T3 support. So um, definitely looking at, again, that difference with functional medicine of the why is this occurring, looking at treating the leaky gut, the inflammatory foods. We got her, of course, on a probiotic and gut restoration in conjunction with that. And then we looked at addressing her stress access, and all of these pieces are coming together. And, oh, her her TSH, which was that initial marker that was at the 7.6, within the first three months went back within range. So And that was without adjusting the Synthroid. That's wild. And I know you also put her on a a gluten-free diet. And we'll talk a little bit about what other foods to make sure you avoid um, with thyroid issues towards the end. Yes, yes. Um, But let's talk more about food as medicine. And let's empower people with knowing what they can do. Yeah. Um, 
which ones, which minerals, let's start with some minerals. Which minerals boost the thyroid? Yeah, so, you know, just like every organ in our body, food can be medicine for the thyroid gland as well. It thrives off of particular vitamins, minerals, antioxidants. And so minerals are a huge thing for the thyroid gland, and that's why we also look into metal toxicity because toxic metals can chelate or trap or play a role with malabsorption of minerals. But the big, the first one we have to focus on is iodine. Um, so as I mentioned, you know, iodine is uh, the primary element within those primary hormones that are circulating through our body. So our T4 and T3, what makes it those numbers is four or three iodine molecules. And so these are the only iodine-containing hormones in, in, in our bodies. So iodine plays a big role in converting that active thyroid. So iodine is found in a lot of abandoned foods in the American diet. Seafood is huge, and we're not talking tilapia. <laughs> I just read another really creepy article on farm-raised tilapia. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we're talking about wild-caught fish because in order to get iodine, they have to eat sea vegetables or seaweed or plankton or other fish that ate plankton. And so they can't eat corn and be farm-raised and have high iodine stores. So it's important that with your seafood selection. And I like to mention also watching out for, you know, overconsumption of sushi with that being said, a lot of sushi is low quality fish. And a lot of it I get concerned about talking about chemical exposure, radiation and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, Fukushima and, and different elements of, of uh, radiation playing a role against the gland function. So anyway, wild caught seafood and good sustainable sources and then sea vegetables, which you can incorporate into your daily diet. Um, we like the Coast of Maine um, sea vegetable shakers. You can incorporate those on any savory dish and mix it with sea salt. Um, there's also a blend with Eden Foods that does a toasted sesame seed with um, seaweed. It's like called like guashimo. <laughs> I don't know how to say that word. I don't but, either. But it's on our Amazon store. Um, guashimo. I apologize culturally ignorant with that butchering term. but it's a combination of, of toasted sesame seeds and nori and other sea vegetables and it's delicious um, it's great to shake onto savory dishes roasted vegetables things like that um, and then sea vegetables themselves um, we just uploaded and this morning in my fox segment I did a avocado RMA salad so RMA is a type of seaweed you buy all seaweed draw dry and then you rehydrate it so you want to Soak it in water. That's going to make it a nice kind of viscosity or more malleable type texture. Um, what's great about seaweed or sea vegetables, I think they're the same thing. It's just that sea vegetables kind of sounds nicer than the word weed. So you can use it either way. <laughs> but um, sea veggies are great to throw into salads as an accent. And because they are um, hydroscopic, meaning that they suck up water, they, they like water, um, they also can light, bind out toxins in your body. And so sea vegetables are great for removing excess estrogen as well as giving you that iodine in the body. And they give you that volumetrics, that oopy-goopy fill in the body. Um, so therapeutic for gut inflammation, lowering excess hormone, helping the thyroid, and also reducing toxins. 
And the last sea vegetable I would talk about is, of course, something like nori, which is really simple that you can buy the sheets of, snack on it. You can uh, do a fun spread of a pesto, or uh, you could do like a hummus of sorts or a carrot puree, and then throw in a protein of choice and do really simple snacks at like a three o'clock savory, crunchy, salty snack. Yeah, think of sea vegetables as one of those superfoods that if you can just fit more in, they're easy. It's usually, you don't need too much volume of it. It's really gonna up the nutrient density of your foods. I also like taking the nori sheets that are pretty dry, and if you kind of rip them up into pieces and throw them in a salad, you mix it with the salad, they get a little bit of moisture, like Ali was saying, and then they become a nice little chew. It's very subtle, and just a different layer, different different flavor for your salad. Yeah, and texture, for sure. Yeah, um, a huge player with, micronutrients or or with minerals is selenium yes so selenium plays a huge role actually in activating the thyroid gland as well it is a super antioxidant so it plays a huge role with driving detoxification in the body and reducing oxidative stress so it can reduce that thyroid peroxidase specifically and help to drive optimal function of our metabolism and it can even aid in recycling our iodine stores so the big superfood with selenium is Brazil nuts. In fact, having about two to three Brazil nuts a day is a really reasonable way to bump up your selenium. We have also on the blog a Brazil nut milk. I love using Brazil nuts in my smoothies or to make nut milk with because it's super creamy. It doesn't have a fibrous shell um, or hull like a almond would or something of this sort. Uh, especially if you soak them, that's gonna make them softer and activate the, the minerals in them. And then just blending about two cups of soaked Brazil nuts with five cups of water and straining it. And um, based on how the soak goes, you might not even have to strain it. Um, so Brazil nuts work really well, of course, in like a trail mix. Um, we incorporate them in a couple different recipes in our Naturally Nourished Cookbook, but making Brazil nut milk works really well too. And then other selenium rich foods are gonna be things like sesame seeds, mushrooms, and organ meat. And I have had a couple of people ask about selenium toxicity. So limiting your Brazil nuts to three is a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And 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 maybe it's overkill actually to do seven days a week. I, I generally am thinking that that means like four to five times a week. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk next about zinc, copper, and iron. They all have different interactions with the hormones um, that, that control the thyroid. Yes. So... When your zinc is low, this can influence your TSH and your T4 and your T3, which can all become low. And then copper and iron also play a role with producing that TSH. And so these minerals can be found in things like oysters, sardines, a lot of your protein-rich foods, just being mindful of the sourcing. So like grass-fed beef or lamb, pasture-raised turkey, uh, looking at also sunflower seeds, pecans, Brazil nuts, almonds, walnuts, so nuts and seeds in general. And then um, some fun foods like ginger root, dark chocolate, and I also think of pumpkin seeds for zinc too. Um, these are great options to boost your zinc, copper, and iron, and that's going to all help that TSH regulation as well as the downstream influence of the T4 and T3. And this is also a good time, I think, to know it's so important to rotate your foods because you clearly yes. cannot get all of these in every day. 
Um, and I think people get in food ruts, even with your nuts. I only like walnuts. Okay, totally. Fine. <laughs> I think that's a great thing to acknowledge. Yeah, like rotating. If you eat nuts every day, and which I totally recommend, I think that for for most people, a quarter cup to a third cup of nuts daily is a great intake. We just see so much positive research about nuts reducing mor- mot- mortality. Excuse me, which is just death in general. Um, so beyond their cardiovascular influence and their healthy um, satiety influence and digestive support. But don't just eat almonds, almonds, almonds. So rotate pistachio, almonds, sunflower seeds, Brazil nuts, pecans, walnuts. And that's going to give you your biggest array of vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. And I would also say when we're talking about nuts and recommendations, trying to do dry roasted organic or trying to do raw organic and then soaking and sprouting them and dehydrating them or or toasting them in your oven at low heat. And I think the same thing can go for even just talking about meats. It's so easy, and I'm very guilty of this. It's so easy thinking chicken or beef, chicken or beef. But yes. there's lamb, there's bison, there's so many different versions of fish. There's shrimp, there's scallops, and these yes. all have different Absolutely. nutrients. So I had a patient that um, we were talking about astraxanthin, which is the pink pigment in um, salmon, but it's actually higher in shrimp. And she was like, I thought shrimp was a dirty food, you know, the whole bottom feeder thing. And it was like, well, it can be, but if it's wild caught and it's being deveined and hasn't been soaked in a chemical solution, it's actually very low toxicity because it's so small and it's eating plankton. And so it can be one of the most potent forms of that disease-fighting pink antioxidant, the astraxanthin. Okay. Yeah. So don't don't shame with your whole foods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes. we touched on minerals. Let's now talk a little bit about antioxidants and how they are, are important for the thyroid too. So I mean, the whole concept with antioxidants is that we want to reduce the oxidative stress to the gland. So if the gland is oxidized and or inflamed or under that chronic stress, that's going to drive dysfunction of the gland. So having high amounts of uh, B vitamins are huge with that stress access and then antioxidants coming from things like our carotenoids, our vitamin A, uh, red or orange fleshed foods is going to be huge. Our uh, B2, B3, and B6 are key elements of the B vitamins and then vitamin E rich foods as well as foods that are high in uh, things like glutathione, beyond the selenium, which is an antioxidant that we already discussed, and also a mineral. There's other antioxidants like glutathione and cysteine, and um, of course, vitamin C, not to be left behind. Um, So these are gonna come in a whole different gamut or array of foods. Our vitamin C will be found in our citrus. Some citrus choices will also have your carotenoids, like grapefruit, um, coming in our CSA today, which I'm really excited about. Um, I'm uh, thinking of bruleeing some of my salad tonight um, and kind of toasting the outside. I I saw someone do that with a little bit of honey, which looked fun. Um, And so grapefruit is going to have both your lycopene and your carotenoids and your vitamin C. So that's kind of a great option as well. the other foods for glutathione and B vitamin combo would be things like avocado would be an awesome food to support the thyroid. And then foods like asparagus, uh, your again, orange colored squashes and yams and sweet potatoes. And then going back to our friends, nuts and seeds. And I think egg yolks are also not to be forgotten along with avocado as B vitamin drivers. Things like choline and folate, definitely gonna be found higher in those pasture raised egg yolks. For sure. And I really like 
you know, of course, it's always best to get your antioxidants and your nutrients in a whole food form. But there is a product by Metagenics called Phytoganics, and it's yeah. very potent, full of superfoods um, and rich, very rich in antioxidants. So it has things like blueberries, raspberries, green tea, flaxseed, uh, could go on and on, carrot, beetroot, I think. Barley is in there, yeah, barley yeah. grasses. So yeah. it's nice if you are one of those people, and I definitely recommend this for women in general, would be to do a liquid breakfast full of fiber, which is really fantastic for estrogen balance. Um, but just throwing in a teaspoon of a superfood doesn't help, um, doesn't hurt, but to, to just boost your phytonutrient intake a little bit. And I even actually ground up some ashwagandha powder that you had yeah. in the kitchen. And I threw it in there. That was your idea, which I love. Um, I didn't grind it that well, so my it becomes a little grind, g- gritty in my drinks. But it's so <laughs> nice to just start my morning off a little bit calmer, help you know, with the adaptogen effect, because I tend to run a little high strung. And I was gonna say, yeah, why why ashwagandha? Just for people that don't know what that is and yeah, how that works. It's calmative and it's adaptogen. So adaptogens help you adapt to stress, but they're stimulating. So for people who are maybe high strung but tired, with a little bit of adrenal fatigue thrown in there, um, it's really nice to keep you energized and focused, but also makes you feel calm mentally. And I think resilient is a, is yeah, a good resilient element is a for perfect sure. word. Yeah. Um, I want to just uh, highlight a boo boo I had. I was just looking at the phytoganics. It doesn't have barley grass in it because um, that would be gluten. It is a certified gluten free product. Um, it has spirulina and other super greens like spinach and things like that. Yeah. So that one is a totally high antioxidant. It's actually been third party assessed for its ORAC score, which is the gold standard for antioxidant um, standards of what's actually bioavailable in the bloodstream following consumption. So pretty cool. I love that stuff. And it's spelled P-H-Y-T-O-G-A-N-I-X. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about minerals. We talked about antioxidants. Yes. Um, now let's go back and kind of rewind a little bit. When you were telling your mom's story, you, you talked about an elimination diet. There are definitely certain foods we should avoid if you if you know you have or suspect you have a thyroid disorder. Um, let's, yes. let's just clarify those. So on the thyroid function is one element, and then the other one is the autoimmune part of the thyroid. So if just any form of hypothyroidism, we want to avoid any goitrogen foods. And so this is coming from our soy and our cruciferous vegetables. So soy, especially in the form of like isolated soy protein, is going to inhibit the function of the thyroid gland and can block the function of the activation of the thyroid hormone. So that's something you really want to watch and avoid. No soy milk, no tempeh or tofu. Of course, I'm more privy to the traditional forms like tempeh over tofu, but still, soy is one we should really avoid pretty astringently. Um, to the point of, yes, you might switch to do coconut aminos instead of soy sauce or tamari, but if that's something you're doing a couple times a week in low volume, I'm not as worried. I'm definitely more focused on, like again, soy milk and, and the use of soy protein in products like Kashi cereals and protein bars and protein shakes and things like that. So soy is a big one. And then another one to be mindful of is your cruciferous family of vegetables which is gonna be the foods that have high goitrogen influence. So these are things like your cabbage. Raw is gonna be the worst or most goitrogenic, so like raw kale would be goitrogen as well. Also things like even Brussels sprouts. And so some of these are high antioxidant health foods, but when they're in their raw form, they can influence against the thyroid 
activation. So these are things we'd want to cook, and if cooked, should be fine to tolerate about a cup a day. So not something that you have to vehemently avoid, um, but something to be mindful of. I have had patients that have been doing green smoothies or green juices and using two cups plus of raw kale a day, and that has been enough to throw their thyroid off. So something to be mindful of. I would say if doing it raw, limit that to twice a week, and then try not to have a goitrogenic food daily, especially then you know incorporate the cooked as the less um, influential, and raw should really, I would say once a week should be a limitation there. Okay. And then, uh, and gluten's a big one that we talk yes. about all the time, and I think a question we get often is, Okay, I understand that I should in- avoid it, but what if I don't have an intolerance to it? It doesn't hurt my stomach. I don't get any digestive yes. issues. What, what, what's so your stance? So gluten is the big one for Hashimoto's, and that's where we've seen a lot of research. Um, a lot of published research tying gluten enteropathy or gluten-induced leaky gut tying into that elevated thyroid peroxidase and Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So if it is just acquired hypothyroidism, technically gluten doesn't have a, a documented research role. Um, it's really looking at the autoimmune element and the leaky gut element, but there is a very strong correlation of Hashimoto's and gluten, and that's the population of anytime I see that elevated TPO or antithyroid globulin hormone um, or antithyroxine, I'm going to want to pull gluten out from that person's diet for sure and then also run that MRT panel to see what foods are driving inflammation in their body. Right. But with that being said, if you wanted to be cost conservative and and you're not gonna run the advanced panel and you don't know if you're Hashimoto's and you're taking a thyroid medication, it wouldn't hurt to eliminate gluten from your diet for the whole gamut of health influence that gluten can have, be that it is pro-inflammatory across the board, even if you're not experiencing a day-to-day influence. Absolutely. You're not going to get any negative health effects from avoiding gluten. (laughs) Unless you replace a bunch of gluten-free crap in your diet. Right. (laughs) Like, you know, you're doing a lot of gluten-free pastries every day. You're you're in the gluten depression funk Uh (laughs) and you're trying to make up for it. But, you know, a lot of like corn products and things like that. But generally speaking, absolutely not. Yeah. So lots of information as always. And this is my favorite part. Ali, how would you, for someone, put all of these things together in one delicious dish? So yeah, I, I, I mentioned on the blog, we just uploaded today our avocado RMA salad. So definitely go check that out. That's kind of one of my synergy thyroid supporting dishes um, for a couple reasons. Again, sea vegetables are going to be 10 to 20 times more dense in minerals and vitamins than land, anything grown on land, and a much more dense nutritional punch for the pack Um, because they are going to be grown, you know, we know so much about soil depletion currently with our farming. The sea vegetables are going to be grown in a rich bath of minerals. And so incorporating sea vegetables is a great way. And RMA is a really fun seaweed that looks kind of like witch hair. I don't know. <laughs> That's kind of what I think of it. It's dry and it's thin, and or worms maybe, I guess. Um, so worms. you would start with soaking. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be fun for Halloween. Yeah. Um, so you start by soaking your RMA, and then you make a really simple vinaigrette. I like to incorporate uh, sesame oil. So sesame is going to be giving us some of those um, trace minerals that we're looking to achieve as well as the B vitamins. Sesame oil, zest, and the juice of a lime that's giving us that vitamin C, antioxidant support. I throw in a clove of garlic also to provide the glutathione support for the body and antioxidant drive and antifungal if we had gut microbiome issues. So that's going to also be supportive. 
Um, and then a little bit of cumin. And cumin is one of the highest sources of our glutathione as well, that granddaddy antioxidant. So this is this nice, um, kind of mimics a, a Mexican flavor profile with the lime, lime zest, but the toasted sesame oil brings in an Asian influence. And then that cumin kind of rounds it out really nice. The garlic gives it a pungent kick. And then I just put in a little bit of a teaspoon of honey to round that out, give it that fat, acid, salt, and sweet balance. Pinch of sea salt, of course, as well. Um, honey is going to help with chrysin, a natural compound that helps to reduce excess estrogen. So that can play a role with the onset or the driver of some of the, the thyroid dysfunction as well. Then we would be straining off that soaked RMA, throw that into three to five cups of assorted greens so we could have things like watercress, we could have uh, rainbow chard, uh, butter, lettuce, spring mix, arugula, you name it. These are all going to be really good choices as a base. That RMA is going to pop in there. And I like to mix my vinaigrette with the RMA before I put that into the salad. So it takes out any of that sea taste, that sea flavor. So the sea vegetable is going to really get overridden by that cumin and the garlic and the sesame oil. And then I mash in an avocado. Um, so I just put chunks of avocado and then take my serving spoons and mash that into coat all of the leafy greens with the avocado. So it gives a really nice velvety mouthfeel to the dish. And the avocado, of course, providing the folate, the B vitamins, and antioxidant support. And then I take roasted almonds, chop those up, and throw those on top. Um, so it's a really fantastic recipe. Um, I recommend pairing it with our maple glazed salmon from our cookbook. It's a really fantastic balance of flavors. And um, I, I think that the whole family would like it, even children, um, but definitely husbands because <laughs> um, it's got a really fun flavor profile and you don't even notice the seaweed. It's kind of like you're eating it and then there's something funky looking in there and then you might get a question of what's this thing in here? Um, what's these worms, as Carly said. <laughs> it's so good though. And if you haven't made a salad with toasted sesame oil or is it regular or toasted sesame? Toasted sesame. Uh -huh. It is so yummy. It, it just brings a whole different flavor and changes it up. And that compared with the avocado and the almonds, that crunch, there's textures going on. There's so much going on in the salad. It's just, it's a home run. So don't yeah. be intimidated by it. Um, be excited to try something new. It's, it's pretty easy to throw together. And I will say, if you feel intimidated by these ingredients, if this is, you know, one of your first episodes you've tuned into, you may want to check out, I actually make this recipe as a demo in our uh, detox DVD. Um, and so our, you could listen to the detox podcast, but... Um, the detox, I go through five recipes in my kitchen, and this is one of them that I walk through how to make. Um, and so it's always fun to see someone demoing and, and showing the ingredients and all of the products. Also, we have linked on our, our blog with the recipe to our Amazon store, some of the seaweed products and stuff like that. That might be kind of outside the box per se. Totally. So thank you all so much for listening. And if you wouldn't mind doing us a favor, please rate us on iTunes. We just launched. Yes. Um, we hope that you're listening to us via iTunes. And we'd love for you to show us some love. Um, give us some stars and let us know what you think. Thanks, guys. Take care. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Carly at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well. <laughs>